Good morning, all. I am so glad that you're here. You know, I don't know what your home life is like, but I want you to know that there's safety here. I don't know if your home life is, is one of chaos and disorder or pain or, or grief or doubt. I don't know what that's like for you, but I want you to know you are welcome here. You are loved by God. You are loved by me. You are loved by us. And we're so thankful that you're here as we launch this brand new series. And this, this series is um, it, it's really for every person, just as you see on the screen. Every person would call himself a follower of Jesus. It's God's call for ordinary people in everyday life. I'm so thankful that it doesn't say God's call for extraordinary people sometimes. Like, I'm so thankful it doesn't say that, that it's, it's the message for all of us because we're all just a little bit ordinary, are we not? I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you know what? You're a little bit ordinary. Look at him. It's a compliment, all right? So there you go. Some of you, like, you're proud. You're like, you're ordinary. I'm like, come on now, relax. This is a loving place, right? So it's just for ordinary people. You don't have to be the super spiritual person to take this to heart. As a matter of fact, this is for every person who considers themselves or who has the markers of a walk with God. Speaking of markers, what you don't know is this. Preceding this, uh, this sermon series, really, this, these weeks that we're going to spend, preceding all of this, I've been prepping you for these moments, I've been prepping you because two series ago, a couple months ago, we were in a series called Trending. And, it, and the tagline for that and the truth around it was, and I was trying to inspire you, and I was trying to give you a theological foundation or framework for doing what we're going to talk about today. But the, the bottom line for that whole series was that saved people are sent people. That saved people are sent people. And that was a couple series ago, and you're thinking, Ah, I see where you're going now. And then in the last series, maybe in case you were asleep or you missed some of them, you need to catch up online or on YouTube or something. But the last series, this series was called Markers. And there were two general big ideas about that whole series. It's not only is it um, that you would look and see if you have markers of faith in your own life. Of course, that's the one that would be in, that would just come naturally. But what I said a couple times in this series is this. Not only is it so you can see the markers in your own life, but yet you will be able to look and see markers or the lack of markers in other people's lives. Because there are people here who just, because of cultural Christianity, they just think they're a Christian because they were born south of the Mason-Dixon line. Or because they, maybe they, they moved here. And now there's this, this thought process that has swept across our land that we don't need to evangelize anybody. We don't need to go because we've already gone. Everybody's already known. We have the T-shirt. We, we sing the song. I have Christian radio. I, I put up the praying hands emoji on my Facebook page. It's like you do all those things and, and you do everything that makes you look like a Christian. But I want you to know because of cultural Christianity, you could be doing everything outwardly that makes you look like a Christian, but inwardly you're not. You're not. So those markers were there. We spent seven weeks on those markers. And we went and we dug deep into those things, not only so you'd be able to see the markers in your own life, but also so you'd be able to evaluate somebody else's life. Because if you evaluate somebody else's life and they don't have the markers of faith in their life, it is your job as a follower of Jesus to share the truth of God's love and the truth of the gospel with them. So I was setting you up for this. I, I was. I'm just, I'm just letting you know up front that we have been building for this whole series. I've been looking forward to this series all year long. So please match me in my enthusiasm week by week as we go through this. And um, what we're going to see at the end of today and certainly at the end of every one of these weeks is we're going 
We're going to boil down each passage into one phrase. And all these phrases, they go hand in hand with the, with the preceding phrase. So you're going to get one at the end of the talk. You're going to see where it fits in the scriptures. And then week by week, you're going to get a different phrase. But you need all of these because what you're going to have at the end of this is you're going to have a very practical way of sharing God's love and sharing the gospel with someone else. So you're going to see this and everybody says, I don't know, I'm just not this guy. I just, I'm just not this lady. I just don't know enough. We're going to get to all that in a couple of minutes. But I want to I want to see who's in the crowd today. So I want to ask you this question. It's a question that no spoilers, by the way, if you're here in the 915. I stumped everyone. We even had people in the audience who were like really, really, really smart in one particular area. And I stumped them. And I'm proud of myself about that. I had to dig deep for it. So let's give them the question. The question is this. What do Jack Nicholas? again, no spoilers. What do Jack Nicholas, Lou Han, and Shaq or Shaquille O'Neal have in common? Any guesses? They all play golf. That is incorrect, sir. That's a good guess. We had that at the 915. Somebody else said they play basketball. I was like, the name Jack Nicholas, right? Oh, think about it. But anyway, um, no judgment. And any other takers? I'm not going to embarrass you. What'd you say? They're all humans. Wow, they do have that in common. Um, not necessarily, but that's a really good guess. A really good guess. So uh, I'll break it down in this way. I'm going to go out of sequence as to what you see on the screen because I really want to pick on somebody today who should know the one in the middle. The first one is Jack Nicholas. He was, in 2013, he was proclaimed as the ambassador of golf to the world. 2013. So ambassador. Yeah. Wow. Shaquille O'Neal. He was the self-proclaimed ambassador of fun. You see where I'm going with this, right? There you go. So Shaquille O'Neal, the self-ambassador's of fun. Now you already know, you already know the middle one because you're smart. You already know that the middle one, he's an ambassador of something, right? But what? I'll just, I'll just give you this. Who likes Star Wars? Who's seen, who's seen all the Star Wars movies? Okay. I'm picking on you. Whoever, you had your hand up. You're like the Star Wars person. You wait in line. You get there early. You know, you, you can't wait to see him. Probably got a poster somewhere. You have a shirt like the force is with you, it's not, but you think it is, all that, like all that stuff. And, you know, you've done all that. So any takers? If there is a connection with Star Wars. Anything, anything? He was the, and I can't believe you guys don't know this. I'm really let down. 915 just shattered my hopes and dreams. You guys didn't help. Lu Han was the Star Wars ambassador to China. Yeah. I dig deep for these messages, just so you know. That's what he was. And as a side note, just because I know some of you have a poster on your wall, he is China's version of Justin Bieber. So there you go. Uh, you, maybe you can put up his poster next to Justin Bieber's in your house. I don't know who that's talking to. Maybe somebody. But they're all ambassadors. But yet there's a connection with us, too. They're all ambassadors or ambassador types of some sort. And you may be scratching your head like, What's an ambassador? I mean, I'm sure that you didn't talk about that on the way into church, but like, well, I heard Ambassador Jones to Paraguay said, I mean, we just don't talk like that unless you watch the news and you still don't know. So let me give you a general definition of what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a messenger sent from a higher authority. That's what it is. It's, an, it's a messenger sent from a higher authority. That's what an ambassador is. He's just a a messenger sent from a higher authority. 
You probably also, because you're smart, you know where I'm going next. We're all ambassadors. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an ambassador for Christ. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 20. It says, therefore, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. Okay, newsflash, this is you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are Christ ambassadors, his, his messengers sent from the higher authority. True or false, uh, Christians operate under the authority of God. True or false? True. A little shy on that one. It was absolutely true. That was an easy one, right? True. So we are th- therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're messengers sent from the higher authority of God. So we're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Think about that for a minute. As if God were making his appeal through us, the appeal to other people, that means other people are looking at us and they're listening to us and they're seeing how we relate to the watching world. And it's as if God were making his appeal for their heart through our lives. That's challenging, is it not? Then he continues, we implore you, such a strong word, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Such a pleading there. As the Apostle Paul is pleading with those who are associated with the Corinthian church, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, which means that they're not. So that they're sent out as ambassadors and people are watching our example. And if we're salt and we're light to the the world, they're watching us to see how God really works, to see what God is really like, to see if Jesus really loves them. Like Christians say, Jesus loves them. The next verse says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like anyone who has surrendered um, themselves to Jesus and we have by faith accepted the, the, the salvation and lordship of Jesus because of the, the work of the cross and because of the the. the resurrection of Jesus, just recognizing that he's God and that we're not, and we've given up all self-effort to save ourselves. this becomes our story, does it not? This, this becomes the very basis of our being that, that God made him, the Father made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. We were dead in our sins. We had nothing to offer God. But the Father sent the Son, the Son willing to come, living a perfect life, dying on the cross publicly, butchered publicly, mocked publicly for you and I, that we might become the righteousness of God. So we're messengers. And I also also get this, that as soon as is there's any sort of talk when it comes to evangelism, sharing your faith, oh, I'm an example to be followed, anything like that, I know what happens in every crowd that that's talked about you automatically start formulating in your mind how you're not that person. You start formulating in your mind and you start maybe getting a little defensive and saying, I just don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not connected enough. I'm not, I'm saved, but I haven't grown. And like, I'm just, I'm not that person. I just want you to know you're already doing it. Like one way or the other, you already have influence on people. I'll explain it to you in this way. If you've ever gotten excited, students, Perhaps adults, if you've ever got, an ex- got excited about a video game and you've told someone else, you wanted that excitement to then well up in somebody else the same excitement that was in you. Ladies, certainly not the guys. Ladies, if you've ever gotten excited about a boutique, 
right? You got excited about it. I went to this boutique. Where'd you get that shirt? Oh, I got it at such and such. Oh, I look, girl looks good on you. Oh, however y'all say, I don't know how y'all say it. That was a sad attempt. However you say that and you say that to one another and then automatically you're like, you're already becoming, becoming a messenger and you are starting to then influence them to like the things that you like. The same thing happens in sports. There are certain people who advocate for a certain sport, like soccer, for instance. They're, they're like a small few in this country, but we have a lot of students here who love soccer, and they're trying to persuade everybody else why soccer is the dominant sport, except for one who's shaking his head because he plays football. But everybody else says, oh, I love soccer. It's like you're trying to persuade everybody else to like what you like. We do this in so many other areas of life. Let's not find excuses why we shouldn't also be doing it spiritually. Let's also not find excuses why we're not, we're not skilled enough or why we're not like intellectual enough, why we, we can't debate enough. We're going to get to some of that in a bit too. So I think there are generally two different objections when it comes to this topic. People say, well, I just can't do this because of the, the list of reasons that I just said, or Perhaps, and I see this so common here, people treat their walk with God like, uh, like a visit to the doctor. Here's what I mean. When you go to the doctor um, in the doctor's office, not the ER, but it could be true of the ER, but you go to the doctor's office, you go in and you check in, and then you go sit in the chair, and then they wait to say your name. Uh, Chad Zook, uh, you're able to be seen now. And then you, whatever, and then, you, then I go back there, and you go through the door, you get poked and prodded, you go out, you know, in the midst of that, you pay your copay, probably grumble about that a little bit, and then you leave, right? That's the general rule of thumb when it comes to the doctor. We treat our Christian life with the same kind of mindset. Like we just kind of go in there, we get saved, we sit in a seat, just waiting for Jesus to call our name so we can go to heaven and be like, oh, now I'm going to heaven. So we sit in a seat or you maybe sit in a seat like this or you sit in a circle and you're in a community group and yet you don't live out the mission of God. You just stop. It's like you get saved to sit, just waiting to go to heaven. And if that's your story, you're only living a part of the story because God is working his plan of redemption through every follower of Jesus. And I would say this, he even works at the plan of redemption through those who are not followers of Jesus because he's sovereign. So we don't want to miss what God's doing just because we may feel uneasy or unworthy of being able to share the gospel, which is why I'm going to give you these very simple ways of doing this with your family and friends. If you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to get very practical This is not so theologically deep that you're going to be like, I don't know what you mean. You're not going to have that. Instead, you're going to be wrestling with, and you should be wrestling with, how do I do this? Which is good. So, and we're going to connect all these messages together, and what we're going to see is how it is that we can be ambassadors of peace. That we have peace with God, and we're at peace with people, So those people could be at peace with God and they could be at peace with people. We're actually going to start one verse back. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. You guys are ready. Not so much over here, but it's okay. We're going anyway. Um, We're going to start at verse 62 and then we're going to get a running start into this passage. And I want us to see this. 
Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow means, hey, I've got something to do. And yet looks back, he's like, oh, I've got something to do. I just got something else to do. I'm just, I want to go do this. What Jesus is saying is, if you are someone who has put your hand to the plow, if you're a follower of Jesus, your hand is to be on the plow, like doing the work of salvation, sharing the message of God's love to the watching world, living it out publicly so your life would be on display for other people. That's the reason why we talk about baptism. So that way that people would see of the, there would be a public expression of the, the thing that's happened privately within you. That's the reason why we do it. Because this is a, a corporate life. The spiritual life is a corporate, a public life, not just a little private life. What Jesus says is no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. I think of two Old Testament examples that follow suit with this. The people of Israel, they look back continually. When there was such a promise of going into the promised land and they would grumble with with Moses and Aaron and particular Moses and just grumble back and forth and go back and forth. And they always look for what they thought was, it was, they always look backward to Egypt. If we would just go back to Egypt, sure, we were slaves. Sure, we made bricks and it was incredibly difficult. And sure, we had absolutely no rights, but yet they were so convinced that the predictability of their life was better than living by faith and living in the freedom of which God had promised. They're always looking back, thinking if I would go backward, my life would be better. But it wouldn't be better. I think of the second example. This, some of you will remember when there was destruction happening on the, the city of Sodom and Lot and his family were told what? They were told to leave. And so Lot and his whole family abides and they listen, right? Except for one person. Lot's wife. So then they're all, I don't know how many people, there's a bunch of them and they're, they're walking out and then destruction is happening behind them. And God says, do not look behind. Don't look at the city. Just walk away from this city. They're, they're under destruction. And yet she's like, oh, that's kind of neat. I'm going to flam. And what happened to her? Pillar of salt. That was like the, you know, when I read that for the first time, I thought that is the weirdest thing. Why salt? It could have been anything. But it was like, it was salt. So she turns into a pillar of salt. And of course, that was the consequence for her disobedience. And notice how, and we're getting a running start into onto our main passage. But notice how Jesus says this. No one puts his hand to the plow, looks back. is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So now verse 1, we're going to see exactly what he's talking about. After this, in other words, after the phrase that we just discovered, the Lord appointed 72 others. Um, there's a little confusion here. Some uh, in the Greek Old Testament, they use the number 72. The Hebrew Old Testament uses the number 70. Not absolutely sure which one it could be. There's a good argument either way. Pick one and you'll be all right. I don't think that you're going to err by us knowing for sure one way or the other. I personally think it's 70, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, um, he sent... Uh, 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So he sends out the 70 or 72 to all of the, all the places that Jesus is getting ready to go. So they're preparing the way, much in the way that John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. And, and notice what John the Baptist, this is not on the screen, this is just a little extra. Um, his message was repent for the kingdom of God is near. 
We're going to see in this passage, this is a very familiar message that's going to be echoed through the 70 or 72. Here we go. He sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What's the next word in your Bible? Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound very cheery. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Just hope they don't offer you collard greens. Anyway, that's not there. That was just something I thought about. So here we go. Moving on. Do not move around from house to house is what it says at the end of verse 7. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. There's the message. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your own town that sticks to to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So we're going to spend more time on this particular part of the main passage, and we're going to dig pretty deep into it. So if you are a note taker, maybe you want to write this down to kind of outline um, this talk. And this is what I'm going to start with the kingdom of God vision, a kingdom of God vision shapes what matters and who matters. There was this embedded idea, this embedded truth when the 70 or 72 were then going out and sharing and there were to be people of peace because they were at peace with God and they were, they were on, on, on behalf of of Jesus, they were going out as messengers, as ambassadors for Jesus to tell them about this great peace that they could have with Jesus. And did you notice that the message to those who receive it and the message to those who don't receive it is the kingdom of God is near. So what's embedded is that there is a kingdom that they are prescribing to that the people who are evangelized, they're being evangelized too, they haven't prescribed to. So the kingdom of God vision shapes what matters. You see, what matters in this situation is them being obedient and doing what it is that God is telling them to do. Also, it tells them what matters because if you notice in verse 2, I believe it's in verse 2, it says the harvest is plentiful, but the what? The workers are few. So the harvest is plentiful. That means there's a lot of work to do. And, And anyone who has been in farming, we just had a... My daughter and I had a great conversation yesterday. We were driving. She got her learner's permit. Pray for her dad, right? She's really a good driver, but it's, you know, we're, we're in that phase and kind of trying to figure things out, and it's exciting. By exciting, I mean we're like daredevils, with, you know, but it's, we're like in that, and I had some chores to do, and I had to run to, the, to a dump site, so she, looked, she was excited. She looked forward to driving, so she got in Big Red, and we're driving down the road, and as we're driving, it's a really short drive to get to the dump, we both kind of glanced over, and there's some corn there, and it's, it's mostly brown, but there's a little bit of green. And she's like, well, they need to pick that corn soon. I said, well, it's not ready yet. It's not ready for harvest yet, but it's, it's close because it's still green and, and all that. And farmers could, you know, you'll know a lot better than me, but, like, it's just not, not ready yet. But yet when, when it's ready 
Farmers know that it's a matter of urgency. Because if it's not there and if it starts to lay down, you're starting to lose crops. You're starting to lose money. And so I had just this real-life example. And yet I love how Jesus uses this, this reference in the Scriptures because any country that has any level of agriculture would understand this, that the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of work to do. What he's saying is, and, and what matters is, the message of evangelism is one of urgency. It's one of urgency. There are people that you and I know that if they were to die today, they would not go to heaven. There are people that you and I know, perhaps for you, you have somebody who's already passed away and you feel the sting of, I just don't know where they are. And that hurts. That's, that's deep. And I also understand that maybe it's like this storyline with my own mother. I, I, I gave my mother the gospel, but I just was never confident that she received it. And she passed away a couple years ago. And I think about that often. To me, so I, it may be part of my story you can connect with that you've lost a loved one and you just don't know. Or maybe you do know and that they're far from God. And, and allow that to, to rev up a sense of urgency. Maybe not necessarily for the lost one because they're gone, but yet for those who are around you who you still have influence with. You see, a kingdom of God vision shapes what matters. Our life becomes one of, of urgency. It matters. Our relationships matter. Our mission is critical. And another reason why I believe it's so critical is right here where we live, there is this presupposed idea that if you're, if you're born under the, the Mason-Dixon line, that you are automatically a Christian, you're automatically in, you're automatically saved because you have the T-shirt, you listen to the music, you know the right post to make on your social media feeds, and all of that is, is outward stuff, but you could have no inward change that comes with somebody who's really alive by the Holy Spirit of God. There's somebody who's, who's really saved, they're alive on the inside. So we have become, in, our, in the Southern culture, have become so good at faking it to make other people believe that we are Christians. So keep looking for these markers. The message is one of urgency because not only do we have people who are, who are in need of the gospel, but also it's critical. It's critical in our day because there's a lot of people who just think that they're saved and they're not. And it's our job is to take the message and the mandate of, of the Great Commission to go out and share the love of God with those far from God. And this is so common here, but notice, and I really wish it was a different way, but um, go to verse 3 and let's read that together. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. The second takeaway that we'll frame up after verse 3 is this, a kingdom culture is driven outward and onward on mission. A kingdom culture so uh, it's the vision of somebody who's been um, awakened by God, who, who is alive in Christ. So they're part of their, the kingdom of God operating here on earth, but also it creates this, this culture. It creates a, a language. It creates an understanding. It creates a spiritual sight. And part of this culture is us being driven outward and onward on mission. 
Notice right here in this passage in it, um, it, that it says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Three basic things I want to share here is, and I think this is, uh, these can be drawn right from this verse. It's a matter of danger because can sheep's, sheeps protect themselves from wolves? No, they can't. They're so vulnerable for attack. They always lived in this idea of danger. And yet there's, there's a matter of fear when it comes to a Christian being able to evangelize a lost friend or coworker. And, and the fear rooted in some sense of danger, not in the same way that, that Jesus is talking about for sure, of losing your life, but the fear is, am I going to lose a friendship? Am I going to lose a relationship? And I just want you to know, if you take your faith serious, that's going to happen. I wish I could tell you another way. If you set yourself apart and say, you know what? I'm going to live in accordance with what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10. I'm not going to live for the approval of man anymore, but I'm, going to, I'm only going to live for God's approval. You can look it up yourself. Like if you're living that way, you're going to rub people the wrong way. That was certainly true when Marla and I got serious about our faith. There was a time where our families pretty much kind of abandoned us. And yet it was a time of desperation for us. We're like, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't, we weren't the weird Bible people. We didn't go in there with the brand new, you know, Thomas Kincaid family Bible and like start pounding them over the head. It would have been fun, but I didn't, right? Like I didn't do that at all. Instead, I was just, I was living my life and just living my life in accordance with what the scriptures were revealing to me at the time. But they were not only opposing the scriptures that I was trying to adhere my life to, they were opposing God. So sure, there's going to be a separation for sure. I wish I could sugarcoat it. I wish I could tell you, wow, if you just play the game and you just do your own thing, there's going to be no consequences. If you take God's word serious, there's going to be consequences. But also, you explained to me, so the first thing is danger. The second thing we see is a matter of helplessness because you told me, you rightly told me, that sheep can't defend themselves from wolves. They can't. They're vulnerable to attack. They're helpless. And then I, I want to add comfort to you because when it comes to us sharing the faith or us seeing somebody come to faith in Christ, all we can do is just to send a message. It's God who saves. It's not on us to save a person. You can't control anyone. Parents, you know this, right? When, when your kids were young, you could control their actions. You do this. You could scold them and discipline them, however you did that. Like, and they, you, you would get them to mind. But then there become a time to where you're like, wow, the game's just changed. I can't do what I used to do. Now I need to try and motivate them because you can't make somebody do anything. I'm going to give you some other scriptures. These won't be on the screen, but maybe you want to write these down just to help you. Um, that... Is just as a person is helpless to save themselves, you're also not responsible for seeing that somebody gets saved because this is a work of God. First thing is uh, John 16, 8. It explains that the Holy Spirit convicts a person. So even in the midst of this message, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, I'm convicted because I have coworkers that I know are far from Jesus and I've never shared anything with them, that's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you that you've done something wrong. You've violated God's law, you violated God's command. That's the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. John 6, 65, and I think these do work uh, in this order, but 
I'm not God, so I'll allow him to, uh, to do what he does. That's way above my pay grade. But John 6.65, it, it explains that the Father draws. So the Holy Spirit convicts, but the Father draws. It isn't that the, the Holy Spirit convicts and then puts us out on an island so that the Godhead can sit around and mock us and look at us. That's just not how God operates. God is full of love, and he's also full of mercy, but he's also full of justice. And yet in this, it's the Father draws somebody to salvation. So the Father draws. John 6, 65. Also we see in Ephesians 1.18 that the Father enlightens the mind. The things that are, are to be discerned spiritually, the Father enlightens the mind. He allows you to see things because as we are without God and before you uh, receive Jesus, you're dead in your sins. You can't discern spiritual things. You are spiritually blind is what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You're spiritually blind. You can't see and discern. Last thing on this list, and there's more I could add here, but for the sake of time, I won't. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. It says that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual understanding. It gives spiritual understanding. Those things that need to be discerned spiritually, the Holy Spirit helps to discern. Helps us to, to discern. What is it I'm supposed to do? Who is it I'm supposed to be? Does God love me that much? And the Holy Spirit, as a comforter, reminds us of all of the promises of God are yes, amen. They're yes and amen. And so it's the, it's the Father and the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's as we abide with Jesus. So um, two things out of this basic points of interest that us being a, a kingdom culture is driven outward and onward on mission. For one, it's a place of danger. There's an unpredictability. Um, we're not always going to know the outcomes. We just have to walk in obedience. Second thing, we're helpless to save other people. So the burden rightly goes on God. Ours is just simple obedience. And the last thing, this is not on, on uh, the list or even necessarily directly taken from this passage. Um, one word is, but we're to be peaceable and patient. If you go out and you take this message serious, and I understand that even in the midst of this, and I said this during the 915, and I meant it then, and I mean it now, I, I know that there's only going to be five or ten of you who actually take this message seriously. There's, there's some of you who, who you have, you're just not going to take this message serious right now. My hope is that one day you do. But I'm just being honest. I long for you. My heart aches for you to do it, for you to actually believe that God is big enough to overcome your doubts and your fears and, and your insecurities. But here's the thing about all that. Even in the midst of our struggle, even in the midst of, God, I don't know this, and even in the midst of being overwhelming, as soon as you go out and you share Christ with someone, and maybe you, share, you, you, you develop a relationship and you share it once or twice, you, there's, your flesh is going to grow very impatient where you're going to say, I'm just not the one. I just can't do it. And your flesh is going to rage against you being peaceable and patient. And it's in those moments that I hope you remember my words right now. That's all part of the process. You can't save anyone. God saves. And God alone. So as God saves, our responsibility is to be patient, wait on God waiting on the Lord to do what only he can do. Second one, and this one would be taken from the passage, we need to be peaceable. As much as it depends on us, be at peace with everyone is what the scriptures say.
We need to be peaceable, which means when we go out and share our faith, means we don't need to try and form arguments with people. If somebody, they have arguments and, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Just pause, take a breath, and just, just accept in that moment they're not ready and move on to somebody who is. Don't exert a bunch of energy and a bunch of sideways energy on people who aren't ready to hear the gospel. Be peaceable and be patient. Be peaceable, being patient. We're going to dig just a little deeper into this and around two basic ideas. The first idea is this. Actually, a couple different ideas. Um, In verse 4, it says, Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. This is not talking about northern hospitality, which I explained last week. Like, don't acknowledge anyone. That's not what Jesus is saying. In this passage, what he's really getting at is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Because if you take a purse, and that really means like a money bag. If you take a money bag, you're going to be so concerned with how much money you lost or how much money you have. So they're giving this literal command, don't take any extra money with you. He's teaching them dependence on God. He also says, don't take a bag. That would be like luggage. He says, don't take a bag. Don't take extra stuff. I'm teaching you dependence on me. Then the next one, he says, also, don't take sandals. Now, this one's a little bit more confusing for me, but I think it's just another way of explaining there's a journey that we, we can't plan out all of the, the circumstances. We just have to obey. We have to be peaceable. We have to be patient. We have to just do the work that's in front of us. So Jesus is not saying to be rude. He's saying um, we don't need to take extra stuff. And notice that he says that the purse or the money bag or the bag, he says, on this journey, you need to depend upon me. I think at the a core principle that you have to understand and you have to live out and you have to acknowledge in your life is when, when the word of God is preached to you or you go through and you read the word of God and you get to a place that you scratch your head and you say, God, how in the world am I supposed to do this? I know that I'm supposed to. How in the world do I do this? Or God, I... I know that I haven't done this well enough. What do I do now? Or, or maybe you, you have done it and you're encouraged by it and you, you read the Bible and you're like, okay, I've actually done this. I think all of those things are to bring us back to Jesus. All of these things are markers. These, all these things are reminders for us so we can't operate independently of Jesus. We should all be desperate for Jesus, dependent on Jesus, needing the words to say, needing the opportunities to say it, needing the heart and the motivation and the encouragement to do it. All of these things lead us to Jesus. So when Jesus goes out and he says, don't bring any extra money, don't bring any extra luggage, don't bring any extra sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road, he says, and the part about don't greet anyone on the road is because their custom was to stop and you greet somebody on the road and you bow down so many times and you kiss their feet and you kiss their cheeks and like good grief, I saw you yesterday. Like really, it's like that was their culture. And what Jesus says, you can do all of that and get so distracted from what I'm asking you to do. You can get so distracted. So Jesus says some things. He says, just don't get distracted by these things. Remove these distractions. Depend on me. Also, um, getting into this idea of peace, and I'm not going to read all of these these passages, but I want to explain one thing to you, just because in the 
in the section from verses 5 to 12, there was a mention of knocking of the dust of the feet, the strict Jews, the ones who, who tended to be um, very close-minded and even racist at times against the Gentiles. They just, there was all sorts of issues there. Um, the strict Jews, if they were to travel in Gentile lands, before they would cross back into Palestine, they literally would take their shoes off and they would not knock the dust off into the Gentile lands because they didn't even deem that the, that the dust of the Gentile lands was worthy of bringing into Palestine. That's just so wrong on multiple levels. So now Jesus is sending out these people two by two to go out and to bring the gospel to Jews and he's using their own strict interpretation against them. He says, so when you, 70 or 72, go out two by two, and they're Jews, and you go out and evangelize these other Jews, if they don't want to hear it, knock the dust off of your shoe, and they would know what that was. That right now, just know that the kingdom of God is near, but you're not worthy of this message because you have not received this message as a person of peace. That's what this passage is talking about. Give you two big ideas, and we have a, a pretty big finish. Uh, one idea is this, and they seem like they're, they're at odds with one another, but trust me, they're not. One idea is this, based off of uh, the peace section from verses tw- uh, 5 through 12. I just made up a word or a number. Um, the general idea is this, go deep, go deep. This is talking about relationships. Go deep. Uh, understand this, in our day and age, people who really live out the Christian life and they don't just play the Christian life, the watching world, even cultural Christians, look at real Bible-believing, spirit-alive Christians and we are viewed as tax collectors and Pharisees to them. We are. And, and, And Pharisees and tax collectors in the New Testament were to be avoided understand that that comes with a level of of us taking God's word seriously. Those who are outside of the faith and think they're inside the faith or those who are just outside of the faith, they're not always going to be at peace with us, but we should always be at peace with them. So we need to first go deep. Go deep in relationship. Understand the relationship is formed like this. It's built through trust and trust takes time. Trust takes time. Relationships take listening. So I'll camp out here before I give you the last one. Trust takes time. Understand that we're viewed as those crazy Jesus people, and that's okay. We can't, I say this all the time, you can't control what people say, but you can control if it's true. So trust takes time. It's going to take time to develop relationships. Understand people have a bias against the faith, and that's okay. You're going to win them over by being peaceable. You're going to win them over by being kind. You're going to win them over by sharing God's love. Second thing, relationships takes listening, which means you're not going to get into an argument. Whatever people say about the gospel, if they say something against the gospel, you listen to them. You don't have to agree with everything that say, but you listen to them. Relationships take listening. And then the last one, very practical. Golden rule them. Golden rule them. Do to them what you would have done to you. Do to them what you would have them do to you. That way you're not just winning them over with words and listening, you're also winning them over with deeds and the attitude of your heart and the posture of your heart and the kindness that you have and you're able to relate to them as a person, not as a project. 
So golden rule then. Trust takes time. Relationships take listening. Second big idea is don't be shallow. What? You said go deep. Don't be shallow. It's the same thing. It's not. He also tells them, eat the food that's given to you. He says, don't get all caught up in, in all the dietary laws. Don't get caught up in all that, that religious, spiritual stuff. Instead, stay on mission, stay on track, sharing the gospel. Don't get caught up with a bunch of side theological issues and stances. Instead, just be peaceable, be loving, be kind, press on. So don't be shallow when it comes to that. Don't be shallow in, in looking for all of the minor theological debates. Instead, first go to the major, that being sharing the gospel. So go deep. Don't be shallow. Big finish. Start reading in verse 17 through 24. Then we're through. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Wow. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, don't rejoice in, in doing the work of God. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Don't, don't get all caught up in, oh, I'm this and I'm the spiritual person and I've got a title and I get to go do this and you're not doing this and, and I have all this, this authority and power. He says, don't get caught up in all that. All that's a trap. He said, instead, just be content with knowing that your names are written in the book of life. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. In other words, he's saying to those who lack learning. Yet, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So in other words, he's saying there are some people who don't see what you see. Verse 24, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. It's almost like a tongue twister. So the big idea is this. This is the thing that's going to add into the rest of the talks, is this. Don't expect or assume that everyone sees what you see. When it comes to your walk with God and the things that God has revealed to you, don't expect or assume that people see what you see. You have a level of discernment through the Spirit of God. You have a level of understanding because of your time in the Word. You have a level of, of experiencing God because of opportunities like this or being in a community group or being in a discipleship group or, or just serving. Don't expect or assume that everybody sees what you see. Because there are people within, within the cultural Christianity realm who think they're saved and they're not. They simply don't see what you see. This is going to become so practical and so helpful as we add to these phrases week by week. Now, as the band comes up, we're going to finish with the Lord's Supper. And I want us to, to pause for a minute because I, I even know that in the midst of this, some of you, have just been reminded of something that you should have done and you know that you didn't. 
and talking about evangelism, you, you've had people or you have people in your life to where you, you instead validated their feelings instead of operating by faith in Christ, in, in Christ alone. So you operated in feelings and you said, I'm just uncomfortable. I don't feel like it. Or you, you operated on feelings for the other person saying, I just don't know how they're going to take it. I don't know how they're going to feel about it. So instead, you've operated by your feelings instead of faith in Christ. And if that's your situation, you've got to confess that as sin, Christian, because you didn't obey. Instead, you bow down to feelings instead of operating in faith. And, and Christians don't live by feelings. We have feelings. They're great. They're part of the human experience. We need emotion. We need feeling. But our lives can't be dominated by our feelings. So some of you, that's your story. And, and others of you, even right now, maybe you have uh, just this, this gift and burden to share the gospel with lost people, even right now. And you're, maybe there's a mind, just a name or two that comes to mind. You're like, oh, this person, this person. Maybe you've even written their name down on a post-it note or something, and you're like, you're praying that this person will receive Jesus. I just hope they do. I just hope they do. I just hope they do. I hope I have opportunity. I just want to encourage you in that. Man, this, this message and all of these messages, they're speaking your language. You're living this right now. And for some of you, you... You simply don't know what to do next. Because maybe for you, you've, you've viewed your, your faith as being private. It's just private. It's just me and God. I, I, you need to confess that that's sin before God because your faith was never just about you and God. The Christian life is one that is communal. One of family. The Psalms tell us that God sets the lonely in families and every soul is lonely before they receive their Savior. Every soul. So if some of these explain your life, what we're going to do, and maybe there's something else that comes to mind. Maybe you just walked in here and, and you've just been doing some things wrong. What we're going to do is we're all in the room. We're just going to have a, a moment of silence and we're just going to confess. We're going to confess privately. We're all going to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you do that, that now, that would be great. And then after a time of silence, then, then I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then give you the instructions to take the elements. John 1.9 says that if we confess that He, God, is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sins. Don't let this moment go by without confessing before God what God already knows, but you're admitting to Him, drawing near to Him. Such a promise there. If we draw near to God, that He draws near to us. Such a promise and 
Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. It's high time that your souls have had some rest. Take this time of confession. Find rest in Jesus. still praying. I, I also know that in this moment there, there are situations where people feel found out and the Holy Spirit convicts and draws. And maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now that you came into this place thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm doing okay. And yet right now you feel found out. You feel like the Spirit of God has a highlight in your life and it's just like a laser beam over your soul and you know that you're not saved. What I would say is this. You need to just pray this prayer. It's not, there's no special thing in this prayer other than your heart behind it. Praying something like, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you're God. I believe that you resurrected on the third day. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I surrender all self-effort to try and save myself. I bring my life to you, Jesus, broken, tattered, beaten, and worn. I surrender my life to you. I accept you as as Lord of my life, offering me direction for my life and Savior of my soul, offering me a pathway to heaven to be right with you and the Father. And if there's somebody who just prayed that prayer for the first time, maybe it was the third time, but this time they actually meant it. I believe that right now there's a, a renewed sense of confidence, spiritual confidence in them. Um, something feels awake or alive. And Lord, if, if that's somebody's story this morning, I, I pray that, that as we get up and take the Lord's Supper, and I invite them to take the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that, that after the service that they would be able to come up and they would just share publicly with me the decision they made to follow you today. And Lord, for all of us, I, I thank you. I thank you that this, this table, this bread represents your broken body. The blood represents your shed blood. We are people of the table. We are people of the cross. We are people of the empty tomb. And we are people with the mission. We offer ourselves to you, Jesus. Church, what we're going to do now is everybody on this side of the room, please exit. In just a second, you're going to exit and go onto the outside.